Well, good evening, everyone. It's a joy to be back with you here to open God's Word. I want to invite you now to turn with me to the prophet Haggai. The prophet Haggai. And I know that you've spent some time uh, studying Zechariah, so just turn a book left. We're going to be looking at Haggai chapter 1. As you have your copy of God's Word open in front of you, I want to remind you what we're going to hear this evening is God's holy, inspired, and errant Word given to you that you might be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, built up into your most holy faith, that you might walk with joy and gladness before the Lord. So let us hear now the Word of the Lord, Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, And Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the word of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord, their God, had sent him. And the prophets feared, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. This is God's holy word. Let's give him thanks and praise for his word to us this evening. 
Our great and glorious God, we thank you for your word that has come to us. Lord, we pray that those who have ears to hear, they would hear what the Spirit is saying to the church tonight. Lord, would you open our eyes to see glorious things in your word? Would you open our hearts to receive the truth that it might work down deeply into our being, into our members, that we too might have our hearts stirred, that we might fear you, our great and glorious God, that we might walk in obedience, fulfilling the duty that you've given us to fulfill in your world, through your word, according to your way. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of your son, our King, Jesus. Amen. Eighth grade year, U.S. history, Mr. North. Always started out with his three-ring binder that always looked like, you know, the old family King James Version Bible that maybe your grandparents had at their house. His three-ring binder looked like that. And he would open it up every morning before class would start, and he would say, now this day in history, and he would tell us something like, on this day in history, May 21st, Charles Lindbergh completed the first transatlantic flight in 1927, this day in history. Or he might say, on this day in history, on May 21st, in the year 1932, that Purdue teacher, Amelia Earhart, she completed her transatlantic flight solo as the first female. He always had a this day in history moment for us at the beginning of his history class. And what I loved about, and when you became an eighth grader, you didn't have to call him Mr. North anymore. You got to call him Bubba North. I have no reason why he let us do that, except for he was a massive man, a huge man, who knew where he came from, because he knew his history. He knew where he stood in the moment, and he also had great faith. He was a massive man who just had great faith, and he knew where he was going. And I always just appreciated Bubba North, because he knew not only where we had come from, but where we are, and he knew where he was going. But this day in history stuck with me for many, many years. Even as I was preparing this sermon, it came to mind. Because that's what we have in the first verse of Haggai. On this day in history, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, something happened. Something happened occurred in the world that we must mark out and we must not forget because if we forget what happened, we might forget who we are and we might forget where we're going. And on that day in history, in the second year of Darius King, in the sixth month on the first day, and scholars have done the work and done the math and figured out on our calendar, it was probably August 29th. The year was 520 B.C., The word of the Lord came to his people. The word of the Lord came to his people in such a way that it not only woke their hearts to see the glory and the goodness of who their God is, that God would speak to his people, but unlike other prophets, Haggai's word came to the people of God and something miraculous happens. The prophet speaks, the governor hears, the priests hear, the remnant, the people hear, and they change. They hear the word and they obey. Oftentimes the prophets speak in the Old Testament, but rarely does it come with success. And here, when Haggai speaks to the people, the message that he delivers is a successful message because the people hear 
They fear the Lord and they obey the Lord. But what was the message? When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion out of Babylon, back from exile, he gave them the charge, he gave them the duty to go back to Jerusalem and to establish the temple, to reestablish the temple, to build it once again. And we hear in Ezra that they came back from Babylon with great zeal and with great resources and with great support, even from a foreign nation. They had been given everything they needed to do the work of building the temple. And in Ezra, we hear that they came and they built the altar for burnt sacrifices They established the altar and they began to worship the Lord. And within the next year, they established the foundations of the temple. What zeal, what fervor they had when they came. But then they faced opposition. They faced opposition from their neighbors of what would become the Samaritans. They come to town, they say, hey, let us join in reestablishing the temple, helping you build the temple. But the people will say, no, this is our work to do before our God We are commissioned, no. And those countrymen, those Samaritans, did not like not being invited. And so they began to oppose the work that the people were to do. And what happened over the next 15 years is that the work, it stopped. It ceased happening. The foundations for the temple were laid. The altar was built, but the work ceased at the first opposition that the people encountered. And what happens is when we face opposition, when we face opposition from outsiders, often that outside opposition causes us to freeze, but then we have internal distress. We we begin to operate out of fear, begin to make excuses about where we are in the world and at this point in time that this truly isn't the time because there's so much opposition. And so the work stops. But the people were sent back from Babylon to Jerusalem to build the temple. It wasn't by Cyrus's decree. Yes, that's what gave them the earthly resources to go back and build the temple. But we know it's by the decree of God through the prophet Jeremiah and Second Chronicles that they were to go back and build the temple. They did not need anybody else's permission. They had the Lord's word before them. Go back to Jerusalem and build a temple. And even in the face of opposition, they should have continued, but they didn't. And that's what Haggai addresses here. He addresses the fact that they have not fulfilled the duty for which they were sent back into the land to fulfill. In verse 2, by God's grace, through his kindness, he sends his prophet to speak to the governor, and to the priest. And he says to them, and what grace it is, he says, thus says the Lord of hosts. God has a message for you. And the message begins first by God confronting their excuses. How gracious God is when he brings his word to bear on his people's hearts to confront us where we are and to confront often our excuse making for why we're not fulfilling the duty that he's given us to fulfill. In verse two, it says, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. These people, their message is, it's not time. It's not time to rebuild. We face opposition from the outside. We're in fear internally. 
It's not the right time to obey the word of the Lord. But verse 3, it says, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And the Lord says, It's not time to build my house. But then he says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Interesting. They were charged to go back to fulfill the duty of rebuilding the temple. But at the face of opposition, they cower. They stop the work that they were sent there to do. But they have enough energy. They have enough strength. They have enough zeal to not just build shelters and houses for themselves. Notice what the Lord says to them. He confronts their excuses by exposing them, saying, you don't have time to build my house, but look around. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your Note that, mark this, paneled houses? In your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, what they had done was they not just built shelters. They had just not built temporary houses for them to live in, common dwellings. No, they had elaborate houses fit out for kings with paneling on the inside and paneling on the outside and roofs and great timbers brought in for them to decorate their houses in a magnificent way. They'd use the resources that they had to spruce up their own homes, but yet God's house lied. It was laying in ruins. The Lord's saying, you face opposition You cease the work on the charge I gave to you, but you have time to do what you personally want to do. What grace, what kindness that God would come to us in our flailing and our excuse making and saying, poor excuse. You don't have time to fulfill my word, but you have, five, you have plenty of time to fulfill your desires. And so what does he say to them? He first confronts their excuse making, but then in his kindness and his grace, he calls them, and this is a repeated theme all throughout Haggai, consider your ways. Consider how you're living. Consider the outcome of your life. The Lord of hosts says to them in verse 5, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Look at the fruit of your labor. Consider the outcome of your life. Note how you are living and note how it's going. In his grace, he shows them how foolish it is to not keep God's call to them first priority. He says, you've sown much. You've been generous in your sowing. You've been prodigious in your sowing. You've not held anything back in your sowing, providing for yourselves. But note, consider your ways. You've harvested little. He says, you eat. You have food, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And mark this, he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. 
That is the best commentary in the Bible on inflation that I've ever read. You work really hard. You labor with diligence. You do all these things in your strength for your own good, by your own will, for your own purposes, but they are producing nothing for you. Consider your ways. Consider your hearts. Who are you laboring for in the land that was given to you? Yourselves or for me? And so the Lord repeats this. He says in verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts. Again, consider your ways. Mark out how it's going for you. It's one of the greatest ways to build a prayer list for your friends and for your family and for your neighbors. Just to walk around your neighborhood or to walk around your workplace and say, hey, what's working well? And when they tell you what's going well, you mark it down and say, that's something to give God praise for. And then you follow it up with, what's not working? Consider your ways. What's not working? The Lord's asking them to consider their ways. And that becomes your prayer request. The Lord says, what's not going well? Consider. And so he gives them the remedy. He gives them an antidote to their problem. He says, instead of laboring for yourselves, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Go up and do what I've called you here to do. Seek to fulfill the commission that I gave to you. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. It's not going well. You work hard, but... The return is lacking. You eat, but you're never satisfied. You drink, but you're never full. You're clothed, but you're never warm. Is your heart aligned with me? Because isn't it the Lord who gives us our food to eat and satisfies our desires? Isn't it the Lord who gives us the drink and the nourishment that we need to fill our spirits in our hearts? Isn't it the Lord that clothes us? And isn't it those who seek first the kingdom of God, all those things are going to be added to them anyway? You're working hard, but the results are not sufficient. Consider your alignment with Yahweh. Turn, consider your ways, go and do what you were sent to do. Put God's priorities first and everything else will follow. Seek the Lord and do his will and he will provide for your needs even in the face of opposition. Even in the face of an an internal heart that might be fearful or lacking in faith. Even when you fear and even when you are of little faith, still look to the Lord and seek to obey him. Because when we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things that we need will be given to us. It's been thundered from this pulpit for decades. And when I saw, saw that, that putting the Lord, ta- that the Lord would take pleasure in us and that the Lord would be glorified among us, what does that require of us but to seek kingdom, pray kingdom, Think kingdom. Put God first in everything. Set his desires and his wills, his will before you and follow with your whole heart and all these other things will follow. 
Consider your ways. How's it going? The Lord repeats and reiterates to them, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. And then he gives them the answer for why. He asks, why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because my house that lies in ruins, while each of your each of you busies himself with his own house. The reason that is not going well for you is that you are seeking your own will over and above the will of God. The reason that you don't seem to be flourishing is because you are putting your own desires first. And God in his grace calls us out and says, consider your ways Realign your heart with ultimate reality. Realign your heart with the glorious good news of who God is and what he's done for you. He has saved you. He's brought you into the land to fulfill his purpose, not to satisfy your own desires. But the interesting thing is about desire is when you seek the Lord, he satisfies the desires of your heart. But when you seek your own desires... He unsettles you and robs you of peace and joy. So what must we do? Realign our hearts. Seek to follow the Lord. The reason that we often don't flourish in our faithfulness and in our obedience to God is because we are seeking our own will rather than his. We're seeking our own. We're busying ourselves with our own rather than seeking to honor the Lord. And he says, because of that, the work that you've done has not been fruitful. Verse 10 says, therefore, the the heavens above you withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. You work, you labor, but even the weather is against you. Who is it that controls the weather? Is it not the Lord who gives the increase, who gives what we need? But then he says in verse 11, I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. And that judgment that God brings to the household of God is a great grace to jostle them awake to their need to return to the Lord. Why do we lack Consider your ways. Is your heart aligned with the Lord's? Why is it that we don't have the resources we need? Are you seeking God for the provision? Or are you just working harder in your own strength? Consider your ways. Consider your ways. How's it going in your home? Are you setting the Lord before the eyes of your children? Are you, cons- are you reminding your spouse or your roommate about our king and who he is and his glorious reign and rule in our lives? Are we constantly looking to him or are we just bickering and arguing about getting our act together so that we might, you know, just live in peace? Consider your workplace. Do you work as unto the Lord or do you work out of your own skill and your own power and your own know-how? Or do you work setting the Lord before you? Think about it tomorrow morning when you show up. Am I setting the Lord and his kingdom before me? Am I working out of a dependence and reliance on him? Or is that just the Sunday thing I do? Consider your ways. 
How's it going when you go out among your neighbors, maybe go for a walk, walking the dog or whatever it is you do? Do you just shoot the breeze and talk about the weather? Or do you bear witness to the good news of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus? Do you seek to spread the kingdom or are you seeking just to live peaceably with your neighbors? Consider your ways. How's it going? Well, oftentimes we find that we're lacking because we have not rightly aligned our heart with the God who has spoken to us, who's decreed that we might go fulfill his purposes in the world. And we've gone to seek our own rather than his glory. And by his grace, he makes us uncomfortable. He withholds the things that we need so that we might turn back to him and rely on him. Consider your ways. But thirdly, I want you to see that God just does not only expose our excuses. He doesn't just, in his grace, call us to consider our ways. But no, by his grace, when his word is brought to our hearts, by his grace and by the power of his Holy Spirit, if we will hear his word, consider our ways, he will, by his grace, change our hearts transform our hearts to obey, to fulfill his purposes. Remember, we said that this prophecy was received and it was a success, but we see the success here, the result of the word of the Lord coming to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. It comes to the governor, the man who would be king, but he does not have a crown and he does not have a scepter, but he's only a governor, Zerubbabel, and Joshua, the high priest, the prophet comes. Do you see that? The prophet comes to the governor who would be king and to the priests. He brings the word. And they hear. They believe. And they obey. They hear God's gracious word to them from the prophet. They believe God's word after considering their ways and admitting it's not going well for us here. And then it says they obeyed. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. Note that. It's not just the governor. It's not just the priest. But when the word of the Lord comes through the prophet, the entire remnant of the people, about 50,000 people who came back out of Babylon into Jerusalem, they hear and they believe as well. How do we know they believe? Because it says they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their guard, God had sent him. Belief gives way to obedience. Hearing and receiving the message. Trusting that the Lord has spoken truly. Receiving it with faith leads to obedience. Not just merely sitting in what you've heard, but acting upon it. The Lord sent them there to rebuild the temple. Haggai comes and says, why have you not rebuilt the temple? They say, it's not time. We're being opposed. He says, no, that excuse doesn't fly with the Lord. Consider. Consider your ways and go gather the wood, the timbers up on the hill to bring down and do the work. They hear, 
They considered their ways, and the scripture says they obeyed the voice of the Lord. God in his grace sends his word to his people. God in his grace sends his word to you, even this evening, to encourage you and to strengthen you, to build you up that you might obey, that you might not wallow in your lack, but that you might stand in his glorious provision, that you might rely on his power to fulfill his purposes in your generation, in your day. The word of the Lord comes to us that we might receive it with faith and obey. But it also says in verse 12 that they not only obeyed the Lord, but they feared the Lord. They honored him as king. They honored him as Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. They had regard not only for his word, but they had regard for his house, and they realigned their lives in such a way as to put him in his rightful place as king and lord over them. And what was the result? They did the work. They actually went to do the work. They obeyed the Lord. And notice what it says in verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And what did the Lord say? It's so providential that we were talking about Matthew 28 earlier. Because this is such a great promise. Haggai said to the people, the Lord says to you, I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. And it says their spirits were stirred. The people's spirits were stirred. Every one of them, and they all went to work. They came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They obeyed him. Have we not been given work to do? Have we not been called to labor for God's glory in the world? Have we not too been commissioned in this land that we live to labor first for the kingdom of God? To seek it above everything else? To continually meditate and think about it and then to work out of that? To continuously pray for it to come here on earth as it is in heaven? Have we not been given a commission that says, go therefore? Why? Because all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. No matter what opposition you face. No matter whatever fears you have. All authority belongs to Jesus. And he's commissioned you to go. He's commissioned you to go out and to build the kingdom. He will build his church. But you, brothers and sisters, are co-laborers. You get in on this as you bear witness to the glory, this good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ. He uses you as builders, as laborers, to build up a glorious temple made of precious stones that the Lord himself will inhabit and dwell in. We too have a call. We too have a commission. What are your excuses? Consider your ways. 
And ask God by the power of his Holy Spirit to come and change your heart so that we might obey and rightly align our hearts with his and fulfill the work that he's given for us to do in this land, in our generation, for his glory, that he might take pleasure, that he might delight in the work that he wants to do in and through us. Brothers and sisters, it was on this day in history, the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king, that the people obeyed. I pray that it's on this day in history that we're awakened to the call that God has given to us. And we hear, we obey because we fear the Lord and want to see his glory spread all throughout the earth as the waters cover the seas. Amen. Let's pray. Our great and glorious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you bring your word to bear on your people, that you might jostle us awake to your glory, that you might remind us of the work that you called us to do, the delightful duty of bearing witness to Jesus, that we might see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that, Lord, we might see your temple being expanded and growing, that, that your tent would be broadened, that many people might, become in, might come in and hear about how glorious and good you are, that you would dwell in our presence and in our midst. We as your people and you as our God. Lord, may we be diligent to hear your word, to obey your word, and to align our hearts with the call that you've given us to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe and to obey everything that you've commanded. Because you made a promise to us as you made a promise to your people of old. You will be with us. And we are banking our lives on that promise. So Lord, fulfill your word in our day, in our generation, that we might be found faithful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.